Okay, this morning, if you're going to, we're going to continue in uh, the book of Isaiah, and we find ourselves in chapter 30 and 31 this morning. Isaiah 30 and 31. Now, most of us, if we would be truthful, have a problem with people telling us what to do. We figure, I know how to do it. I can do it. I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Um, That particular trait appears very early in life, just about when you're two years old. They call that the terrible twos. But unfortunately for some of us, uh, that trait still continues even uh, to the 70s. We don't want to be... I can do it myself. Um, Some dear saint saint sent me uh, an email about a telephone call a man made uh, to order pizza. And it went something like this. Hello, is this Gordon's Pizza? Uh, No, sir, it's Google Pizza. Oh, I'm sorry, I must have dialed the wrong number. No, sir, Google brought Gordon's Pizza out last month. Oh, okay, well, can I order a pizza? Well, sure you can. Your usual, sir? My usual, you know me? Well, according to our, our caller ID sheet, the last time you called, the last 12 times you called, you ordered an extra-large pizza with three cheeses, sausage, pepperoni, mushrooms, and meatballs on thick crust. Oh, yeah, that's what I want. Can I order that? Well, may I suggest that this time you order pizza with ricotta cheese, agrula, sun-dried tomatoes, olives, and whole wheat on gluten-free thin crust pizza. (laughs) What? I don't like vegetables. Well, your character is awfully high, sir. How do you know that? Well, we cross-reference your home phone number with your medical records, and we have the result of your blood test for the last seven years. Okay, well, I don't want your rotten vegetable pizza. I take my, mes- my, my medication for cholesterol. Well, I'm sorry, sir, you have not taken your ma- medication recently. According to our database, you only purchased a box of 30 cholesterol tablets once in the last four months. I bought it from another drugstore. It doesn't show on your credit card statement. <laughs> I paid in cash, but you did not withdraw enough money from your bank. I have other sources of cash. Doesn't show up in your last tax return unless you brought them from an undisclosed source, which is against the law. What? Well, I'm sorry, sir. We only use this information so with the sole intention of helping you. Enough already. I'm sick of your death of Google, Facebook, Twitter, whatever apps. I'm going to an island without internet, cable TV, where there's no cell phone, no service, and no one can watch or spy on me or tell me what to do. Well, I understand that, sir, but you'll need your passport first. It expired six months ago. (laughs) We don't like people telling us what to do. Especially, and that's interesting, that's becoming closer to the truth than we actually like to admit. Isn't that true? Well, in our passage, uh, if you've been with us as we've been going through this section of Isaiah, 
the people of Jerusalem are facing a crisis. What has happened is, oh, some 20-odd years before this chapter, Assyria had invaded the northern kingdom and conquered Samaria. And now they begin to press down on the southern kingdom. And Jerusalem, specifically, the capital of the southern kingdom, is worried. And what they think is, well, you know what we need to do? We need to get allies. We need to get Egypt. And Egypt doesn't like Assyria any more than us. So what we think is right, what we should do, is go down to Egypt and get some help. And we'll see if you read um, verses 3 through 7. They've even begun to send some um, ambassadors down to begin to talk to the Egyptians in hope of getting them to help. Well, Isaiah comes along and says, guys, you're going in the wrong direction. Egypt can't help you. What you need to do is trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. That's what Isaiah tells them. And their thought is, what? Come on, this is serious business. We, we, we need to do some, we need to figure this out ourselves. We know what to do. We're going to go down to Egypt and they're going to help us defend us against the Assyrians. It's funny, I, I titled my little talk this morning uh, uh, A Piercing Reed. You're thinking, well, where does that phrase come from? Um, when the Assyrians finally do come slightly after this, um, one of the ambassadors for Assyria is talking to the people lining the wall of Israel, of Jerusalem. And this is what he says. He says, don't trust in Egypt. Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed. Even Egypt, on which if a man leans on it, it will go through his hand and pierce it. Now, you're saying, what does that mean? Well, just imagine if you were running through the bushes for some reason and you're being chased by somebody. And um, as you went through, you tripped and you began to try to steady yourself, to help yourself through the, the problem that you're having. Well, a crushed reed, meaning that it's broken, so it's not the, 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 the light part of the reed, it's the stem of the reed, it's the thick part of the reed. And as you leaned on that reed, what did it do? It pierced your hand. And even the Assyrians knew that they couldn't trust in Egypt, because if you trust in Egypt, it's like leaning on, on a crushed reed, it pierced right through your hands. Now, as your pastor over the years and still being here on staff, on a pretty regular basis, I'll run into people and say, well, how are you doing? Or they'll come up for prayer and they'll say, well, doctor's notice came in. It's not good, Neil. Oh, sorry to hear that. Or uh, the job that's been here for years, it's gone, Neil. Oh. Or... Uh, we're trying to sell the house and uh, we can't get any offers. Or we thought we had enough money, but uh, we're not going to make it. Or our prodigal is prodigalizing. 
What do we do? And so we pray and commiserate. And sometimes, usually during that conversation, the idea comes to either of my mind or the person I'm talking to, well, we just need to do what? Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. And when I say that, I think, well, you know, Neil, it's really easy for you to say because you're not in that situation. You didn't get the bad doctor's report. You didn't lose your job or whatever they're struggling with. I think, yeah, that's, that's a, it's kind of like, well, yeah, just trust the Lord. Easy for me to say because I'm not in their place. But you know, um, I think every one of us this morning that are in the congregation, we have an issue that we have. Isn't that true? That, we're tr- that we need to trust the Lord. Isn't that true? Every one of us, including uh, your pastors here on the staff. Every one of us. We need to trust the Lord as we're facing a crisis or whatever is before us as we come to the end of the year. Well, my intent here this morning is to talk to you about why you should trust the Lord with that which is before you. Why you should do it. But I'm going to follow the mood of the text. And how we're going to do that, I'm going to take it from the opposite point of view because that's the way Isaiah does. I'm going to tell you, when you don't trust the Lord, this is what's going to happen. In the hope that I could encourage myself and you in the thing that we're facing that we might trust the Lord. So let's take a look. We're going to jump around a little bit on the text, so hang in there with me. First thing we see is when we don't trust the Lord, we are making three significant spiritual errors. When we don't trust the Lord, we are making three significant spiritual errors. Look with me in a few verses. First, chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin. Proceed down to Egypt without consulting me to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. That's the first significant spiritual error. We'll get back to it. Let's continue reading. Look in verses 8 through 11 of the same chapter. Now go, write it on a tablet before them and inscribe it on a scroll that may serve in the time to come as witnesses forever. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions, Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Second spiritual error. Let's take a look at the third. Verses 15 through 17. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. And you said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man. You will flee at the threat of five, unto your left as a flag on a mountaintop, 
as a signal on a hill. We don't trust the Lord. We're making three significant spiritual errors. First one, in verses 1 and 2, making plans without consulting the Lord. Making plans without consulting the Lord. Notice what they said. They've already decided what they're going to do. Never thought about asking, I wonder what the Lord would have us to do. First spiritual error, making plans without consulting the Lord. In the Gospel, Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a man who's not having trouble, but he's been greatly prospered. You remember the story? And he was wondering, what am I going to do with all the riches that I have? How should I make, how should I make some plans ahead of time? And that very night, his soul was required of him. And the Lord called him a fool. Now, you can call me a fool, but the one person I don't want calling me a fool is the Lord. And it's not he was a fool because he was rich. It was a fool because he was not rich towards God. If you read the story in Luke chapter 12, he never once said, wow, the Lord has really blessed my work. I wonder what I should do. I wonder what the Lord would have me to do with what the prosperity that I've had. These folks never made, they made plans without consulting the Lord. Now, in James chapter 4, it says, you know, when you make plans, don't say, well, we're going to go in such a city and we'll do this and this and make profit. He says, but rather you should say what? If the Lord wills. Ah, you want to think as you make plans about what the Lord would have you to do. Our Jewish friends didn't do that. First spiritual error. Second is found in verses 8 through 11. Refusing to listen to the word of the Lord. Look what it says, verse 11. Get out of the way. Turn aside. We don't want to hear anybody about this holy one of Israel. Refusing to listen to the word of the Lord. Second spiritual error. In 2 Timothy it says, all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God, the woman of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now someone might say, well, you know, Pastor Neil, I have this problem and I can't find in the Bible, any place that it deals specifically with my problem. So how does the word of God apply to that? Good question. And I agree with you. What happens, well here, let me describe a situation that you might have had. You have this plan and you're thinking about, I'm going to deal with this issue this way, this way, and this way. And then you come to church or you're driving to work and you're listening on the radio and one of the Calvary pastors or some of the other fine pastors, they're teaching the Bible. Or perhaps you open the Bible with your cup of coffee early in the morning and you turn to the Bible. You turn to the Word of God. And you notice when, you're, when you finish either being in the Word of God or listening to the Word of God on the radio or listening to a sermon here at Calvary Chapel, you find that what you had planned now is completely changed. You think, uh, uh, I don't think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do this. What happened? The word of God changes your heart. 
The word of God changes your plans. Even though the pastor or the word wasn't even dealing with your particular problem, it changes your attitude, and oftentimes that's what has to happen. You need an attitude adjustment. And the word of God does that, empowered by the spirit of God. Our Jewish friends were refusing to listen to the word of the Lord. Second, significant spiritual error. Third is found in verses 15 through 17. Verses 15 through 17. Refusing to repent when shown to be wrong. The word of God came, but they, no. No, no, we're not going to do that. Notice what it says in verse 15. In repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. Not willing to repent when shown to be wrong. Hmm. In Ezekiel 33, there's a wonderful verse. I've quoted it many times, but it's so applicable. It shows the heart of God. Ezekiel 33, 11. Just mark it down. I'll, I'll read it to you. The, the Lord is speaking through Ezekiel. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that the wicked would turn away from his sin and turn back to life. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then, O Israel, will you die, O house of Israel? You see, that's the heart of God. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He begs us, turn, turn. But our friends, our friends, our Jewish friends, were refusing to repent. Now we're going through... Um, the Gospel of Mark at our Bagels and Brew on Wednesday morning at 6.30. That's a commercial right here for a minute. And the first words of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark's a little different from the other Gospels, is Jesus, the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark are, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the Gospel. Now, why does he do that? I think the reason he does that is, is it's, it's the key. Okay, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand, okay. And how the key to you entering into all that God wanted to do then, and let's make it applicable for today. The kingdom of God, you want God to work in your life? The key to God working in your life is to repent when you've shown to be wrong. If you want the kingdom of God working in your life, you need to repent. That is the key. And our Jewish friends, we're not doing that. So when we don't trust the Lord, we're making three significant spiritual errors. Making plans without consulting the Lord, refusing to listen to the word of God, Refusing to repent when shown to be wrong. Okay. So when we don't trust the Lord, we're making three significant spiritual errors. Second thing Isaiah says to us, when we don't trust the Lord, we are ignoring the grace of the Lord. When we don't trust the Lord, we're ignoring the grace of the Lord. Look with me in verses 18 through 26 of chapter 30. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. 
And therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him. There's the heart of the Lord. He's gracious, compassionate, and just. Okay? Then in verses 19 through 22, he gives us a description of what he will do when we long for him. O people of Zion, inhabit in Jerusalem. You will weep no longer. You will surely, he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Although the Lord has given you the bread of privation and the water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself. But your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or the left, and you will defile your graven images overlaid with silver and your molten images planted with gold. You will scatter them as impure things and you'll say to them, be gone. See, there's, when we allow the grace of God in our lives, these are the things he will do for us. Then beginning in verses 23 through 26, He looks forward to a time when all of God's promises will be fulfilled in Israel. So uh, this is not applicable right to them, but he's looking forward to that time we call the millennium. Look what he says. Then he will give you rain for the seed which you will sow in the ground and bread from the yield of the ground and it will be rich and plenteous. On that day your livestock will graze in roomy pastures. Also the oxen and the donkey which work the ground will eat salted fodder on which has been willowed with shovel and fork. And every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be streams running with water on the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. The light of the moon will be the light of the sun. And the light of the sun will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days on the day the Lord binds up the fractures of his people and heals the bruise he has inflicted. Okay, let's review. Verse 18, we see the very heart and the intent of the Lord. What? He longs to be gracious, he's compassionate, and he's just. That's the heart of God. And he's ready. He's ready to give us his grace. Verses 19 through 22 gives it, spells it out. Look, look, I love this verse 21. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Your ears will hear the word behind you. This is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. That's there when we receive his grace. And then verses 23 to 26 speaks of a future time. Now, if we know anything about history, and we are going to study this in a few weeks, uh, Assyria actually does come to the very gates of Jerusalem. To the very gates of Jerusalem. But they don't conquer it. They don't conquer it. Okay. And as I thought about that, I said, well, wait a minute. What would, have, what would it have been like if they trusted the Lord right from the beginning rather than looking to Egypt? What would it have been like? Because God did come through for them and he did deliver them from Assyria. That's the truth. And then I began to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Paul gives an excellent example of this. He says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, 
and his grace towards me did not prove vain, but I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You know what he's saying? Everything, everything that I've done, all the good things that are in my life, all the wonderful churches that I've planted, all the words that I've written in this book were by what? The grace of God. He said, and when it came to me, it wasn't in vain, but I responded to it. I've labored more than all of them. And then he ends the verse and says, but by the grace of God, even then it was all by the grace of God. I thought, well, what would have Paul been like if that hadn't happened, if he hadn't, if he didn't respond to the grace of God? And I, I remember in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, this is prior to his Damascus experience, it says, and Paul breathing out threats and murders. <laughs> Can you see him? He just, eh, just eh. and that's describing us. Isn't it? Oftentimes. <laughs> Breathing out threats and murders. We don't allow the grace of God in our lives. All of us have this experience. I know every one of you have had it because I've had it. You've had this situation happen, okay? You've had it happen. And then you start running around leaning on your own understanding, uh, trying to fix the situation. Have you ever had that? And then, graciously, what does the Lord do? Out of the blue, he does what? He solves the situation. And it had nothing to do with what you were thinking was going to happen. Isn't that true? Come on, say again. Come on, let me see. And you end up with what? Egg on your face, looking like a fool. Because you were ignoring the grace of God. <laughs> uh, many years ago, we sent a group of our teenagers down to central Mexico on a missions trip. And Paul and Renata, who were teenagers, my kids, at that time, they went down with them, both of them. And the day before they were to return, I get a call from Renata. Not good when you get a call from deep in Mexico. Hey, Dad. Hey, Renata, what's happening? Paul has lost his papers to get back into the States. What do you mean he lost his papers? <laughs> Paul, get Paul on the line right now. <laughs> Paul, at, at that stage of his life, would have lost his head if it wasn't tied under his shoulders. He was constantly losing. Do you have teenagers like that? Always losing. He had lost his papers. He wasn't, able to, he wasn't able to get back on the plane to come back home to the States. He's in central Mexico. What are we going to do? I don't remember exactly what I did, but I remember uh, I was doing a lot of things. Well, we'll call FedEx, and how are we going to get that going on, and I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do it. And he was coming home the next day. Well, if he didn't get his papers, he had to stay in Mexico. Who's going to stay? With, how are we going to, you know, just went on and on and on and on. So the next day, I got in a, we borrowed a van, and I drove down, down to San Diego, down to Tijuana Airport, actually, to pick up the team. And they came home, and here they came through the gate. And right in the middle of the crowd was Paul, this big smile on his face. I said, what, what happened? How did you do it? And they, what they figured out is 
they all, there was about 12 or 13 of them, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. And they came up to the gate in Mexico, all holding their papers. They all came at once with Paul right in the middle. And he was waving a piece of paper, and the Mexican guy said, ah, get out of here, go ahead, get on the plane. All that fretting, all that worrying. And I drove home from San Diego with egg on my face. When we're not trusting the Lord, we're ignoring his grace. Don't do that. And our Israeli friends, that's exactly what was going on with them. Okay. Third insight that... um, Isaiah gives us, when we don't trust the Lord, that which we have trusted in will fail us. When we don't trust the Lord, that which we have trusted in will fail us. We are going to read chapter 30, verses 12 through 17. We've read 15 through 17, but it, it fits in with the context. Therefore, this is Isaiah 30, 12. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected this word and you've put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore, this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant, whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar so ruthlessly shattered that assured will not be found among its pieces to take fire from the hearth or to scoop water from the cistern. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has said, in repentance and rest you'll be saved in quietness and trust is your strength, but you're not willing. And you said, no, for we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee, and we will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man, you will flee at the threat of five until you are left as a flag on the mountaintop, and a signal on a hill. And then verse 1 through 3 of chapter 31. Woe to you who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, and trust in chariots because they are many, and horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look out for the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring disaster. It does not retract his words. But he will arise against the house of an evildoers and work against the help of the workers of iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out his hand and he who helps will stumble and he who is helped will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. When we don't trust the Lord, that which we have trusted in will fail us. Described in these verses are the facts of what happens when we trust in something else other than the Lord. We are like a collapsed wall. You lean on a wall, the whole thing collapses. We're like a shattered jar that's trying to scoop up something, but you can't. So small, it's just small pieces of shard. That's broken jars. A thousand 
of people of a thousand will be chased by just a few men. That's what, that's what happens. A collapsed wall, a shattered jar, being chased by five, or gene being chased by one. Why do these things happen? Why do these things happen? Look at verse 3. Here's the important thing. Verse 3 of chapter 31. Now the Egyptians are men. <laughs> They're not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. What, what is needed is, is God. You need his spirit to help you. You need the Lord to enter into this situation. The men, they're not God. What you're trusting is, is not the spirit. That's what you need. That's what I need. I need the spirit of God to enter into this situation. Now, typically, throughout the Bible, when the Bible talks about Egypt, you know what the Bible means? It means the physical uh, country of Egypt, but it also means going back to Egypt is doing it man's way. Leaning on your own understanding, trying to figure it out yourself. Leaning on the way of the world, so to speak, rather than on God and on his spirit. Our Jewish friends were not trusting in the Lord. And that which they are trusting on would fail. Several years ago, when Pastor Chuck was still alive, he would have lunches for the Southern California pastors up at Costa Mesa. And it was a nice time. Pastor Chuck would provide a lunch for us. And it was a time of fellowship and getting to know and checking in on everybody. He'd do that two or three times a year. And one time I had a particular uh, unnerving problem that I had gotten myself into personally and involved in the church. And I figured, uh, I won't bore you with the, with the issue. And I went up and I had a chance. Oh, I thought, oh, yes, Chuck. And after all, he's Chuck's man. So I, I said, hey, Chuck, you got a minute? He says, sure. I says, and I presented the issue to him. And he looked at me with those deep blue eyes penetrating right to the depths of my soul. <laughs> and he said, Wow. Well, Neil, I sure am glad I'm not in your shoes. <laughs> and he walked away. <laughs> and at first I was thinking, uh, what? But then a little while later I, I, I knew what was going on. He was saying to me, Neil, I'm just, even though I'm Chuck Smith, you don't need Chuck Smith you need the Spirit of God to enter into this problem. You need the Lord to say to you, uh, this way, this is the way you should walk. Not Chuck Smith. As gracious and loving as, as Pastor Chuck was. We don't trust the Lord. That which we have trusted in will fail us. We need God. We need God. Okay. Last insight. When we don't trust the Lord, we don't realize the Lord will deal with the issue. When we're not trusting the Lord, we don't realize that the Lord will deal with the issue. Look with me, going back to chapter 30 again, verses 27 through 33. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from a remote place. 
Burning is his anger and dense is his smoke. His lips are filled with indignation and his tongue is like a consuming fire. His breath is like an overflowing torrent which reaches to the neck to shake the nations back and forth in a sieve and to put in the jaws of the people the bridle which leads to ruin. You will have songs in the night when you keep the festival and gladness of heart as one marches to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord to the rock of Israel. The Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard and the descending of his arm to be seen in fierce anger and in the flame of consuming fire, in cloudburst downpour of hailstones. For the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be terrified when he strikes with a rod, and every blow of the rod of punishment, which the Lord will lay on him, Assyria, will be the music of tambourines and lyres, and in battles, brandishing weapons, he will fight them. For Topet, that's the place of burial, has long been ready, Indeed, it has prepared for the king. He has made it deep and large, a pyre of fire with plenty of wood, and the breath of the Lord, like a torrent of brimstone, sets it afire. Then uh, verses 4 through 9 of chapter 31. For thus says the Lord to me, as the lion or the young Lion grows, growls over his prey against which a band of shepherds is called out and he will not be terrified at their voice nor disturbed at their noise. So the Lord of hosts come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill like a flying bird. So the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect it and deliver it. He put he will pass over and rescue it. Return to him from whom you have deeply defected, O sons of Israel. For in that day, every man will cast his silver idols and his gold idols, which your sinful hands have made for you as sin. And the Assyrian will fall by sword, not of man. And the sword, not of man, will devour him. So he will not escape the sword, And his young men will become forced laborers. His rock will pass away because of panic. And his princes will be terrified at the standard, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Described in these verses is what the Lord was going to do with Assyria. Um, Just a few chapters ahead in chapter 37... Verses 36 and following, let me read it. This is chapter 37, same book. Then the angel of the Lord went out out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men arose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. (laughs) So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived in Nineveh And it goes on to describe how his own sons murdered him as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach. When we don't trust the Lord, we don't realize that the Lord will deal with the issue. The Lord will deal with this issue. Now, you might be saying, well, wait a minute. It always doesn't work out that way, Neil. 
Come on. We always don't, he does always rescue us and we ride off into the sunset and live happily ever after. It sometimes, many times, doesn't work out that way. Think about the Pastor Rob was praying for that church in Texas. Remember two weeks ago? Well, where was the guy with the gun? Why wasn't he there earlier, 15 minutes earlier? He could have saved all, he could have shot the guy. Why, did, why, why was he late with a gun and, and to shoot the guy? Or why, was, why didn't the Lord protect him? And we could ask a hundred questions like that. And, and you know when we ask those kind of questions, you know what we're doing? We're leaning on our own understanding. <laughs> we're leaning on our own understanding. Now, you have to understand that God is sovereign, absolutely in control, but he is not the author of sin or death or destruction. But he allows the wicked deeds and the good deeds and he works it all together for his purposes and for our good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You know what our issue is? He doesn't do it the way I would want him to do it. And he doesn't do it in my timing. How dare him? Trusting the Lord doesn't mean, however, that we sit on our own hands and do nothing. He guides us oftentimes. He gives wisdom. He opens doors that would not open if we were, not tr- if we were trusting in him, if we hadn't been trusting in him. Remember, I love this verse 21 of chapter 30. When we're longing for him, your ears will hear this word behind you. This is the way. Here it is. This is the way. Walk in it. Whatever way you turn, for your right or your left. Oftentimes, when we're trusting in him, we're waiting on him. We're not sitting on our hands, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord, trusting in the Lord. No. Oftentimes, as we respond to his word, as we repent, as we trust his grace, he guides us and leads us to accomplish his purposes even though we don't understand the immediate consequences or the immediate problem that we're facing. Um, I came across a verse and I want to close with this. I'm a don't good. Okay. This is, you don't have to turn there, just listen to the word of God. This is Isaiah chapter 40. Just listen. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and the vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagle. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become 
weary. Isn't that beautiful? Oftentimes, trusting the Lord means waiting on the Lord. And when we wait on the Lord, we'll gain new strength. We'll mount up with wings like eagles. We'll run and not get tired. We'll walk and not get um, Stealing something from uh, Chuck Swindoll, he talks about waiting on the Lord, trusting the Lord, and he gives this acrostic, and it's wait. You might want to write these down. Wait, W, means walk a little slower. Don't be so quick. Don't be so quick to make a decision. Wait, wait. Walk a little slower, so W. Secondly, A, ask God for increased patience. I want patience and I want it now. (laughs) Ask God for increased patience. I, W-A-I, imagine the worst case scenario if you did what you're planning on doing. Imagine the worst case scenario. And T, Think of others that will be impacted by your decision. Okay, I'll give them to you quickly. Walk a little slower. Ask God for increased patience. I imagine the worst case scenario. And T, think of others who will be impacted by your decision. Mm, Pretty good advice from Pastor Swindoll. Waiting on the Lord, trusting him. Now, I've got issues, <laughs> and you got issues. All of God's kids got issues, amen? Not one of us has everything where it's all fine, but we all have an issue where we're having to wait on the Lord and trust him. Okay. You can go down the road, as suggested by these folks originally, the beginning of the chapter, and go down to Egypt and try and work it out yourself. But that road, oftentimes, when you're leaning on your own understanding, leads to dark places, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Especially spiritually. Don't go there. Stop it. Don't go there. And I speak to myself, and I speak to you. Rather, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's what God wanted to say to you and to say to me this morning. Pray with me, please. Now, with your head bowed, there might be some here who are going to need, have an issue. It's a, and, and it was like, Pastor Neil, that sermon was just for me, and I appreciate that, but it was from the Lord. You might, you might want to have to make a decision. You're, and you have to trust the Lord in this situation. And maybe you've never started to trust the Lord. Maybe that's never been part of your life. And you're here this morning for whatever reason. And you're facing a fork in the road. You can go 
down to Egypt, the way of the world, or you can trust the Lord. And maybe this morning, it's time for you to trust the Lord. Maybe it's time for the first time. Or then I'm speaking to people who are Christians. And you have this issue. And it's time for you to trust the Lord with it. Put it down. Put it down. Stop trying to do it yourself. So can I pray for you guys? Let me pray for you. For those who have never put their trust in Christ for one reason or another. All of us have been there. Maybe just recently or years ago we put our trust. I pray for those people that they would move their trust from themselves and their own understanding to putting their trust in Jesus for their salvation, for their eternal rewards. I pray for them. Holy Spirit, speak to them even now. And I pray for my brothers and sisters. As we face those things that take our breath away, Lord, we're saying, why is this happening to me? Why has this come upon me so suddenly? I, I want to trust you, Lord. Help me, in, even in, as that young father said, help me in my unbelief. Help me to trust you, Father. Lord, we come to you. Uh, we so quickly want to run to Egypt, the way of the, the men, leaning on our understanding. We don't want to wait for you. We want to do it our way. So often we, we don't want to even listen to you. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. But Father, break our hearts and show us your grace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.